The following podcast is a Clutch Media production. Welcome to They Get It. My name's Kelsey, and my co-host Emma and I love direct-to-consumer brands. Whether it's an amazing customer experience or a really killer social strategy, this podcast will feature the brands and founders who just get it. Welcome back to another episode of They Get It. This one is, oh my gosh, it's just so interesting and it's something I knew nothing about before and I think it's so important to be educated on this stuff. So Kelsey will get into the background in a little more detail, but essentially Loop operates on a circular business model and they create juice from produce that would otherwise end up in a landfill. So smart, so genius. Their price points are always also better because of it. And I think what really stuck out for me in this episode is that there's just not a ton of awareness about how much waste is being produced um, by corporations, not by not by individual consumers. Um, and so I think it's so important to just be aware of of these stats and have an understanding. Yeah, Kelsey, tell us a little more about them. Mm-hmm. So I mentioned this when we get into the interview, but I was literally at home with my family three years ago watching Dragon's Den as we do every week. And then Loop came on and David started explaining how big this problem was. And before I even knew what his solution was, I was intrigued. And if you look at what they call the circular economy, right? So they'll go to these big grocery chains and not not just, you know, little mom and pop grocery stores. This is the Loblaws, the Sobies, the big, big chains in Canada. And they'll take all of their waste. They'll repurpose it like Emma just mentioned. And I, I think it's really cool. Their mission and how they, they phrase it is that their goal is to repurpose the outcasts of the food industry. And what you'll hear in this episode is David goes through the numbers, how much of this food is wasted and how much they're able to recycle in the form of juices um, and other kinds of similar products. So they've been around for quite a few years now and have picked up momentum quickly. Back when I first saw David on Dragon's Den, they had four juice products and that was it. Now they've expanded. They have their own gin. They've got uh, soaps. They've got different spritzes and different kinds of juices. Just a really, really cool story and a fantastic business model. Oh my gosh, I am fired up by this business model and I want everyone to listen. And then I want there to be like 20 other types of loop kind of businesses come out. Kelsey and I are going to fund it. You heard it here first. (laughs) But until then, let's get into the episode. Today we have David with us from Loop Mission, and Loop is just an incredible business model. Um, Kelsey came across them on Dragon's Den years ago, and once we started this podcast, she said, these are absolutely people we have to have on. So David, thank you so much for being here, and we're super excited to chat with you today. Thanks for having me, really. (laughs) So to start off, let's just go back to the beginning. Um, So... I'm sure that was even before Dragon's Den. So take us back to that and what kind of started this whole thing. Totally. Yeah, I was I was a, a, a restoration guy. So I had a vegan restaurant in Montreal and I got a single phone call. It was really a simple phone call from a guy. and His name is Frederick. I didn't know the guy. And he told me, I think you need to meet because we throw away between 16 and 25 tons of fruits and vegetables every day. And I just couldn't believe it. I, I, I just, it made me, I freaked out basically. And I, and I drove to his warehouse and I realized it was a, a big warehouse. Uh, 
he was the VP operation of a, of a company called Courchain Lavos, and they're one of the one of the biggest distributor of produce in, in Eastern Canada. And they do. He showed me on that specific day everything he was going to throw away on that day, and it was just absurd. Like there was skids and skids of mangoes and pineapple and celery and kale and 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 what really shocked me is that all of those produce were actually still good. They were perfectly fine to eat today or tomorrow in three days. Mm-hmm. And that's when he explained to me how the the speculation cycle works and how, you know, when when a big importer distributor sells to those uh, those big grocery stores like Loblaws and Metro and Sobeys, you know, those customers mm-hmm. ask for a long shelf life. So when their shelf life is a week, it's too late, right? So they have to get basically wow. rid of the produce so that they clean their warehouse and and bring new stuff in inventory so and 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 of course there's you know some some uh you know aesthetic reasons also you know when there's a there's a bruise or when there's stripes on the melon or there's right. little stains on the orange peels it's also being thrust away but but i just i had the goosebumps i had the shiverings and i decided to quit everything i went with julie my partner we just met and and our dream was to start a business where the more the more you sell of something the better it is for the world. And so we she sold wow. her house. I sold my previous business and we started Loop full time from our apartment. We were taking the overstock from these guys and sending it to a co-packer for making the juices. We started, it was called Loop Juices at first. And then, and that's when you probably saw us at the Dragons. Yep. We had about four, four different juice and that was it. Yeah. And four years later, we have a line of gin made with potato cutting. Wow. We have beer made out of day old bread. We have soap made of discarded oil, probiotic soda made out of discarded produce and essential oil industry. And now we have a line of cookies coming out made with the waste from the brewery, the spec grains from the breweries oh in, in Ontario. So that's that's what we do. We look at food waste in general and just try to find a solution to bring it back in cycle. Completely, completely. And my dad has worked in food service for the last 30 years. And um, I, it's it's crazy how much goes to waste and even like how much is not accepted. My big question for you is how did he know you were the guy to call? <laughs> that's a, that's a good question. We, well, he was a consumer of rice kombucha and this was also my previous business. When I started my restaurant, I was making kombucha in the cupboard and, and selling it to my customer and, and, uh, and the kombucha business I started selling it in the grocery store and I realized this was helping me paying my employees because my, my restaurant wasn't making money at all. It was basically a, a money all, but the kombucha was working. So I split both businesses and I called it Rice Kombucha. And maybe some of you know it. It's, yeah. it's the number one kombucha in Canada now. Wow. And I, I also left that business when I started Loop. Oh my gosh. That's crazy. And and your wife or your partner um, who you started this with, what was she doing at that time? So Julie was uh, uh, sustainable marketing. So she was working in bigger corporation in the sustainability uh, department. And and she's the one that brought the whole idea of circular economy because, you know, in our department, in big corporations, sustainability is always seen as an expense. Mm-hmm. It's never seen as a revenue generator. It's seen as an expense department. Totally. And the role of the department is to is to basically bring higher, uh, higher profile in terms of marketing to give a better view of the business for the consumers. That's basically what sustainability is for a big corporation. It's a marketing thing. And mm-hmm. she was tired to be the, the department that, you know, that only does marketing when you need to actually really have a real sustainable action. So that's why you know, this whole idea of creating a business where the more you sell something, the more it is 
the better it is for the world was really your idea, basically. Oh, I love it. That is so cool. And so when he showed you all of this produce that he would normally throw away, did you immediately think juice or what was that process like? No, we, we, we thought at first uh, baby food. Oh. Uh, and then we looked at we looked at we looked at so many products. The reason we came down to cold pressed juices was it was basically the product that could use the most amount of produce in a single unit product. Because in a simple juice of three fifty five mil, we put one point five kilos of fruits and vegetables. Wow. When you know in, in, in baby food or smoothies or other things it's it's almost like a fifth or a sixth of, of that quantity. So we, we chose cold press juice for that reason. And also there was some kind of a, a space in the market. You know, we kind of look at where there's a new trend in the market to make a new products where we can actually break the price, you know, because cold press mm-hmm. juices, when, before we started the company five years ago, it was only for people that really have budget because mm-hmm. any cold press juice in the market was over eight, nine, ten dollars a bottle. So when we came out with a four ninety nine bottle, we kind of disrupted the market a little bit. So a lot of cold juice companies brought their prices way down to actually compete with us. Very interesting. Yeah, that was one of the things that stuck out to me too. Is your price points are just amazing for cold press juice. I mean, I love cold press juice, but I got really sick of paying as much as I do for it. So um, it's just it makes so much sense that not only are you giving back to the environment and you're actually doing something responsible with your company, but then you're also making it easier for consumers to get the products that they want. So that's amazing. Yeah. It's, it's, a, it's kind of our second mission. Right? Our, first, our first mission is to reduce food waste, but our, our hidden mission is to kind of uh, democratize, you know, clean label products wow. that are most of the time really I am to, to the mass really, because, you know, as a consumer, what we've learned in the last 15 years is that to have a really good product that's environmentally friendly, you know, that's like either organic or sustainable or anything, it's the, it's the end consumer that needs to pay a higher price. Mm-hmm. So basically, it's kind of the, you know, it's the price you need to pay to be a, a conscious eater or a conscious consumer. And we wanted to kind of break this. And with our business model, the fact that we have, you know, we pay a cheaper price for our raw material we can actually offer to consumers a product that has a sustainable action, but that is actually less expensive or at least the same price in the same category. So that's so there's no compromise. So everybody actually wow. wins. Oh, my gosh. I love it. I can't help but think of, you know, I've had so many conversations just being in the entrepreneurial ecosystem where you look at someone like a Tesla, right, who's better for the environment, completely disrupting an industry, and you're not compromising on performance. Like to me, every single vertical or industry has a Tesla and you guys are it. I just love it so much. <laughs> Thank you. Well, I take this as a huge compliment. This is great. <laughs> this is the first time someone compared it to Tesla. Not the last. Good for my ego. You heard it here first. <laughs> <laughs> okay, now I have maybe kind of a stupid question, but looking on your website, you outline your environmental impact you have. And obviously, like the 5,000 tons of fruits and vegetables rescued, that makes sense. But when you're measuring how many tons of greenhouse gas emissions you've avoided, how are you measuring that? This is uh, this is my wife's department because she's the the she's the one that with a master in environmental science. <laughs> but uh, it's basically the, the no, but the, the greenhouse gas emission is basically the greenhouse gas emission that will have been created if we send those produce to the landfill. Mm. Uh, because what what people most of the time don't know, you know, when we put organic products in our garbage bin, like uh, you know. Uh, 
a piece of pear or apple or you know rotten food we think that it's the best thing to put in the garbage because it will decompose mm-hmm. but it's actually the opposite it's the worst thing we can send to landfill because the concept of a landfill is that we fill the land so there is no more oxygen for anything to decay mm-hmm. so it creates uh, many things it creates greenhouse gas emission it creates also uh, a, a, a liquid called lixiviat that really destroys biodiversity and is really it's super acidic and it basically destroys everything on its way and it, it pollutes the water so and if if food waste was a country in terms of greenhouse gas emission it is the third biggest country after china and the u.s Whoa. so it has a huge impact on the environment right and so the so the way we can, we put it on our website the calculator is how much you know we know how much kilogram of an average produce sent to landfill how much greenhouse gas emission it creates and the water is the embedded water. So how much water do we need to grow, let's say, a pound of vegetable? Well, this is a calculation of how much we of that water we've actually used for real. What we actually don't say, sorry about that. So what we don't do and what we should calculate, but it's very hard to calculate, is that, you know, when we work, we work, we work, we work today with Sobeys and Loblas and Metro and, and, and many distributors and farmers. And, and when those guys, you know, the reason those guys cannot, uh, compost their overstock or whatever they they throw away is because when you buy grapes, for example, in a grocery store or pears, they come in a case. And in the case, there's a bag. And mm-hmm. in the bag, there's the grapes. Mm-hmm. So a warehouse that sells those to big corporations, they, they cannot hire staff to, you know, separate the grapes from the bags wow. uh, to, you know, to send to the compost on one side and recycling on the other side. So, so they basically have to send everything to the landfill. And the, the extra thing that we do at Loop, what's amazing is that, you know, like this week, we got two truckloads of strawberries. Those two truckloads of strawberries, if we didn't take them, they were sending to landfill. And every strawberry is in a clamshell, right? It's in those little clamshells. Yeah. And so they, so they can't open them. But at Loop, we, we take them all in. All of our employees open every single clamshell, put the strawberries in the bin, separate what cannot be consumed. So we also kind of split the garbage so that we can actually recycle the cardboard, the plastic and everything. And that's something that we, oh, sorry, that's my dog. That's something that we can't really calculate, uh, but that's something else. That's kind of the extra step that we take also when we, when the produce comes to our warehouse. I mean, I listen to you talk about it and it just, you, it, it just makes so much sense. I can't believe that there's not a million people doing this. Like the impact is so <laughs> measurable. That's the thing. And when you had this idea, you're starting to see the pieces come together. Was it really easy to get all these grocery chains on board? Um, yeah, this was our, our big, this was our second biggest fear. You know, we our our biggest fear when we started was our consumers going to understand what we're doing. Uh, we were a bit scared that with the messaging, because because if you look at the food industry, if you go in every aisle, I challenge you to go in any aisle of the grocery store and pick randomly any packaged goods on the shelf and turn it around. On the back, it's always going to say this. At blah, 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 the company, we've selected the highest quality ingredient possible. <laughs> they always, even if it's a cheap potato chip bag, it's going to say they selected the, 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 the nicest potato ever by end on the altitude of the Himalayans or something like this. And, and we were coming with a business model where we were going to tell people that we're using the ugly ones, mm-hmm. the misfits, mm-hmm. the ones that nobody wanted. And this for us was a big, a big challenge because we didn't know if the consumers were going to be ready about it. And, and 
I'm so glad that we actually decided to market it because at first I thought that maybe we should do our business and keep the mission hidden so that people don't know what we do. Oh, interesting. It will have been the biggest mistake. It will have been the biggest mistake because consumers are ready. Consumers want to, of course, when we buy a product, we want to fulfill an individual need. You know, I buy a juice because it's healthy, it's good, it's refreshing. But if there's a greater purpose, you know, if there's a global purpose attached to the product, then I'm going to do the extra step as a consumer. Right. I'm going to be more loyal, but I'm also going to share it. You know, there. You know, if you buy a juice at the grocery, there is a there's a really small chances that you're going to share about it to your office and post it on your Instagram. But if there is a mission attached to it, and that and if we upcycle our fiber and give it to another company that makes duck treats, then there's this kind of ah uh-uh moment where you want to share it to the world. Oh, and this man. helped us to create an amazing marketing that we didn't have to do marketing because the consumers do it for us. Wow. So I'm not even answering your question, but to, but to answer your question, the buyers are were totally willing with what we did. If, if When I approached the buyers and told them I had a juice, they all told me no. <laughs> but as soon as I told them the story, they all said yes, because those grocery store buyers are at the front line of food waste. They see food waste totally. every day. It's a struggle for them. They see consumers in their store every day cherry picking and, and kind of pushing the apples with the bruise and, and the celery that doesn't look fine enough, right? So so be, they're so sensitive to it that we got an amazing response for, from every grocery store. This is such a tr- huge trend in consumerism right now is being more conscious and being more educated. And, and consumers have that choice and they also have access to the information. So that's incredible. And the question that comes to mind, again, maybe another stupid question, but why isn't this business model more popular? Oh, it's it's far away from uh, yeah yeah it's far away from being a stupid question. The reason was until today that when you're an entrepreneur and you manage a business, uh, you're so focused on your sales and your marketing and your HR that you kind of don't really want to look at your waste. And and be, and when your business you know and when your business grows, most of the CEOs don't really see their waste with their eyes. They see it on a paper. They see it when their CFO brings their financial statement of the month and they see a line, which is, you know, waste. And there's a, and it's a percentage of their business. And, and every industry, not only in food, but in, you know, in, in, in tech and everything, there's always a, a percentage that is the standard accepted of waste in that specific industry. So, so most of CEOs look at this line and are like, oh, okay, am I in the right percentage? Yes. Okay, perfect. Let's keep going. How do we increase ourselves? And, and so, so it, it was hard for most of people to actually start looking at their waste and and share it. Most of people don't want to talk about their waste. So even today, to be honest, even the the, the bread company we work with mm-hmm. to make our beer, we rescue bread to make the beer. Even today, even after all the media attention we had, they still don't want us to reveal their name because they don't want to put light. They don't want to shed light on how much bread they're wasting. Wow. And. And this is the issue. A lot of corporations in the food don't really want people to know how much they're wasting because they feel it's a flaw. And it's not a flaw. That, that waste comes, the fault of that waste doesn't come from them. It comes from the from the industry. It's, it's us as consumers that are so demanding in terms of abundance, in terms of shelf life, in terms of everything that we've created that monster. But so so for us, you know, our, our biggest purpose is not to influence the consumers. Our biggest purpose at Loop is to influence the big food corporations wow. to start looking at their waste. And I can tell you that we actually are achieving this because in the last year, we got phone calls from Kraft Canada wow. that gave us all of their waste. Data. 
we got phone call from Kushtar, which is, uh, yeah. uh, I think, you know, the, one of the biggest uh, convenience uh, stores. What do you call it? Convenience yeah. store. They gave us their data about how much milk they're wasting. Wow. We got AgroPure calling us, and the, the president of AgroPure calling us to make a project with them. So we are starting to see a switch in those big corporations' mind, and they're realizing that that it's actually good for them. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a marketing tool. People want to know that they're doing sustainable stuff. They just don't know how to do it themselves, which is fine with me because they call us and, and we look at their ways and we try to find a solution to, to help them out. Basically. I want to get micro here. So when a bread company comes to you or when Craft Canada comes to you, what's the process like to evaluate what product you're going to make from their waste? Yeah, it's very interesting because most of it's exactly the opposite of a linear business because a linear mm-hmm. business especially in the food world we look at trend right so we're going to look at trend we're going to do some market study market and say okay this this flavors and trend this kind of products and trend let's make a product about that and sell it and create and create the demand if you know the demand is just trending with circular economy we start with a problem so i start with data i look at an excel spreadsheet of waste i look at what's the most wasted and what has the most impact on the environment and then I look around and I'm trying to see how can we transform this waste into a product that will be accessible and understandable by consumers so that there's going to be a higher, you know, a good volume and a good velocity so that we can use that waste at its fullest. So it's, it's a bit complex, right? Because we have to make sure we have enough food waste to put it on the market, right? right? So what we can, you know, so, so if you look at our juice, the, the order of the ingredient list is the order in which they come in overstock in the industry. Hmm. So if you look at the last ingredient from our juice, which is going to be cayenne pepper for one or or uh, or um, uh, cilantro for another, those sometimes comes in waste, but not much. So they're just a little sprinkle that I add on them so, so that we have a different and exciting flavor. And the first ingredient is what we have the most. So clementine, for example, we have, a, we have two juice with clementine. We have it in three formats. And now I have a clementine beer coming out. Because we have so much of it, right? Oh, we have wow. truckloads of clementine during the season that we have so much, right? So, so we look at the data, we try to find a solution, and then we create the product. Interesting. Is there ever variability? Like, are there weeks that there's certain recipes for juice that you just can't do because you're not getting the waste? Yeah, especially the first year. And the reason this was happening is what because we were a bit disorganized because we were just starting mm-hmm. and and. So some weeks I had, let's say, some, and we had a co-packer also. So it wasn't our own facility. So I had someone calling me and say, I have a truckload of grapes. And I will say no, because my co-packer didn't have the schedule to put me in. Mm. But now today, our, our success rate is at 96%. So 96% of every ingredient in our juices will have been sent to landfill. While the first year was about 80% because we were losing this opportunity. And the reason we can actually get to that high percentage is because we use freezing. Freezing is the core of our business, right? We don't, so everything, you know, because Clementine is there only five months of the year. Right. So we juice tons, 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 and then we deep, deep freeze really quickly. Oh, wow. And we have a new technology that's amazing. The technology we use creates a slush. So instead of sending the juice in the freezer, it takes sometimes two days to freeze and right. it oxidize. It's not as good. We have this machine that actually freeze in an instant and creates a slush, literally like a, you know, a slush like we drink oh, in yeah. a convenience store. 
with the juice, so it creates crystals of ice with the for the juice. So so we freeze instant instantaneous wow. the juice that we process. David. Yeah. This is amazing. How did you come up with this? I didn't come up with this. Someone called me and said, do you want this technology? And I was like, okay. Let's, let's oh my <laughs> That's even better. You don't have to do the legwork. Okay. You need to paint the picture for us a little bit. You've got these huge freezers. You now own your own facility. What is What does that look like? Where are you making all this stuff? So, so our facility is inside the produce warehouse in Montreal of the biggest waste generator there is in eastern canada basically so we're we're not even separate we're inside the warehouse and we build a factory in there uh and then we have a brewery working for us on the south shore we have a brewery in toronto which is junction craft brewery that makes our beer locally yeah with the bread from rudolph rudolph bakery which is right next door to them and uh rudolph bakery is a different story most of bakeries is the reason they have waste is because they guarantee the, they guarantee the sales to the grocery store. And whenever there's three days shelf life left, they have to replace the bread with fresh one. And they have wow. so much waste. Mm-hmm. Uh, Rudolph Bakery, we don't even take that bread. Rudolph Bakery, we take his crust because he sells the bread. If you're in Toronto, you must know the, the Rudolph bread is, is only the center of the bread. So all the sides he was putting aside and, and sending to waste. So he has a little conveyor now and it goes in the bin for a dupe. Uh, so the, the junction brewery staff goes at the bakery, they grab the bread, they replace a good part of the grain with the bread and they make our beer there. Oh, amazing. So this will yeah. be a more broad question. If I was starting a business and I wanted to be focused on reducing weight, waste, or if I'm a consumer and I'm focused on reducing my personal waste, what are some tips for either of those or both? Yeah, well, the, the first tip for, for entrepreneurs at first, because it's, yeah, it's very two different questions. For people that start business is to first not look at the trends, but look at the problem to solve. There are so many problems to solve out there, right? And there's so much waste out there in so many areas, right? Not even just in food, but in everything. And, and just if you look at cell phones, nobody, some people are starting to, to take back the cell phones. But I, I can assure you in about three to four years from now, all the cell phones have been, you know, changing in the last 10 years. I still keep them because I know they're going to be for sale in about two, three years from now, right? Everything mm-hmm. is actually can, can be reused and, and do a business out of it. So so the first, I think the first advice is to look at what's being wasted, really. Mm-hmm. That's the first thing to do. Before looking at any trends out there is to look at what's being wasted. And for consumers to reduce their waste is, the first thing I always tell is to do least amount of grocery shopping more often, right? Well, so basically you go to the grocery. Sorry, I, I think my French didn't make it right here. Basically go to the grocery more often and buy less so that you really buy what you really need mm-hmm. in the next few days. Because most of people do a big grocery, especially during the pandemic, unfortunately. Yeah. So the fridge is full and and we and then and then and then we, you know, we overestimate our hunger most of the time. And we waste food like this, right? And, and there's a lot of fruits and vegetables that we buy that we, you know, we throw off parts that are actually edible, you know, like broccoli stems. A lot of people are still not eating broccoli stems, believe it or not, or, <laughs> or cauliflower leaves and things mm-hmm. like this. And every, every stem that you don't set in your garbage bin is less greenhouse gas emission out there. That's what's amazing about it. Right. So what does capacity look like? Like if we've got people listening to this and they have a bakery, they have a coffee shop, they have something and they've got a ton of waste and they want someone like you to come help fix that problem. 
do you have room to take on new clients and what does that look like? Of course, of course, we always have room. But at the same time, what we do is really working with the, the industry, right? So we work with truckloads and, and big amounts of stuff. Mm-hmm. So if a, ca- if a little cafe tells me that he has, you know, the coffee grind that he throws away, I'm not going to be able to to help because it's going to be really cherry picking. Totally. And there's other companies that are starting to pop out that helps. You know, even, even at the grocery store level, we don't even help at Lou because it's too much cherry picking because mm-hmm. they throw away a few cases a week. But there are some sort of uh, nonprofit that are actually emerging now that are going to every grocery, picking their overstock and cooking and and, and making meals for the people, for the homeless and, and things like this. So so there's always a solution for every every stream of the of the food waste, uh, the food waste industry, really. But we at Loop work mostly with the big, big volume. Right? We work. Yeah. We work. Our goal is to have the biggest impact and the biggest impact comes from the industry, you know, and. I can tell you this to explain this fact is that, you know, about 50% of food is wasted in Canada. 50%. That's half of the food is being wasted. But out of that 50% of food, 80% of that food waste comes from the industry. Wow. Comes from the, between the farmer, the supplier, and the, and the grocery. Wow. Right? So and the rest is the consumer. So to change this industry and to and to really have an impact, we have to work with those big guys. Mm-hmm. No kidding. Well, and you also want some predictability, right? Like if a cafe can't even tell you that week over week they're going to have the same waste, it's really hard to build a business around that. What's one thing looking back? I know totally. it's been years, but looking back, what's one thing you wish you knew when you were getting started that you've picked up along the way? Um, oh, that's a good one. I like it. <laughs> I think... I think I wish I knew that uh, people were really willing because we had so much fear. We 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 didn't believe ourselves when we started because we thought that circular economy was a way more complex than a normal linear business. Hmm. And I wish I knew at that time that it's actually simpler. It's Hmm. actually simpler to make a business out of circular economy because everybody wins. The people we work with today, and this is something I didn't mention yet, and it's worth mentioning. Are making so much money out of us when those those this money they're making was a waste before. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. Those, you know, I was the main partner we work with. The the value of the food they were wasting was over two point five million dollars a year. Oh That's gosh. only the value of buying it and throwing it, and it, it was costing them over four hundred thousand dollar just to get rid of it. Wow. Because to ship stuff field cost money. It's about a hundred dollar a pallet or ninety eight dollar a kid. So we're actually creating profit for them. This year, Loop is going to give just that only that company two point five million dollars revenue. So they're so they're transforming a loss into net income, right? So so we're kind of showing the industry that instead of growing your sales or reducing your quality or firing people, you can actually look at your waste and find a way to sell it and increasing your net revenues without having to increase your sales. Yeah. It's kind of interesting. It's interesting. And it's crazy to me that bigger companies have done versions of this before and just never fully capitalized. Like for anyone that knows shredded cheese is cheese that wasn't fit into blocks and is just cut up and put in a bag and they charge more for it. <laughs> Same thing with those little square potato hash browns versus like French fries. It's not the craziest concept. We just need someone to go out and do it. Absolutely. Absolutely. Is that it's the most basic concept ever. Like if we took any Native American and brought it to 
here today, you know, someone that was living here 500 years ago, and we show them how we manage our inventory of goods, he will literally freak out. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like the way we manage our goods today is exactly like, it's like if we kill a moose and we leave half of the moose in the forest and just take half of it to bring home. It, it just, it doesn't make sense. It's the most obvious thing ever, right? As a society, this is what we do. As a society right now, we're going to the grocery store, we buy our goods, we go out, we show half of our goods in the in the in the dumpster, and then we go on with the rest. This oh is what gosh. we do as a society. So, so circular economy. I know it's an intense image I just gave you, but it's it's kind of what we do, right? Yeah. So, so it's it's really it's it's like people tell me I'm really smart with my wife to have started this, but at the same time, we don't have really much credit because it was just very very obvious. Mm-hmm. The, the reason nobody really did it is because. Nobody really witnessed the waste. It's always right. really kind of hidden. It's in the dark alleys. I, the reason we started this was because a guy was nice enough to show me what he was wasting. And I cried. Like on that wow. specific day when he showed me what he was wasting, I, I literally cried. I bawled of, of tears because and I think a lot of people would because it's, it's unimaginable. right? So as soon as you see the waste, there's no way that you cannot be sensitive. Mm-hmm. I completely agree. And that's why I'm so happy we've had you on because hopefully people will listen to this and they'll build awareness and they'll start paying more attention. Um, Because that's really what it sounds like is just being aware Mm -hmm. of how your business is operating and the type of waste you're, um, you're creating. And then it's really just getting back to basics, going back to how we used to um, kind of run our economy. Mm -hmm. Yeah, totally. Absolutely. I, I want when you know we're ending, we're getting close to the end of the episode, and I don't want to keep you. For anyone that's listening, David literally is holding his what three week old daughter <laughs> right now as we're doing this episode. Yes. Yes, she's really... she's so cute. <laughs> you probably can hear her cooing. <laughs> we can't hear her, but she's so cute, and I just don't want to keep you over. Um, I want you to tell us what your favorite products are from Loop. So when people come in, they see you in the grocery store, which one should they pick up first? Uh, I think my favorite products of all is the gin. And I tell you why is the gin. It's because the story of this gin is amazing because we were we won a, a, a trophy in a food in a food contest, whatever. And and it was the room was filled out with food people, right? It was all food industry people. And when we got the prize, we, we said to the microphone, we told everyone in the room, we said, well, you know, if you guys have waste because you're in the food industry, call us and we'll try to help you out. And on that specific evening, there was this lady from Crispy Kernel. Uh, they make chips and, and all kinds of snacks in Canada. And she told me that she was throwing tons of, of potato cuttings at their chip factory and that she'd love if we could do something. And And she told me, I don't think there's really something to do with this, but you know, she almost told it to me as a joke. Hmm. And and six months later, we had this gin coming out. They're still from their potato cuttings. And and it was such a success, right? Because we, we've put it on the shelf. And because the gin tastes pretty good, there's ginger and lime in it. It's just, I like it because it's a very, very festive product. And there's a mission attached to it. So you can actually party and kind of <laughs> feel like you had a purpose while partying. I kind of like it. An extra win, as if we needed more. that's awesome (laughs) all right so david we have one final question for you we ask every guest this and the question is who do you think gets it oh wow i think you guys get it (laughs) 
We just laugh. Well, it's kind of funny because people's interpretation of who gets it has ranged basically every episode we've done. Some people think of their family. Some people think of other brands. Some people think of mentors. And I think it's so important to talk about, right? Because like you mentioned to yourself, you stumbled upon a beautiful opportunity. Well, that wouldn't have happened if so-and-so didn't give you a phone call. And I feel like everyone could benefit from taking a second to reflect on who has really impacted them. Totally. Well, you know what? I, I'll change my answer. Well, also, you guys get it for sure. But <laughs> I think, unfortunately, you won't be able to actually interview them. But I think the whales and dolphins, they really get it too. Huh. Okay. <laughs> Elaborate. Yeah. Well, they're just amazing, smart animals that are, you know, nobody know about them, right? We've been hunting them for so long. And, and even still today in Japan, there's a big slaughter of dolphins. Every year, it's, it's pretty massive. But they are amazing, intelligent animals. Like they rescue each other. They have, they have a communication that's beyond our understanding. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, we can hear whale sounds in the universe with satellites. Like they, they have something amazing and deep and they, they can look humans in the eyes. And I don't know, there's something about, I'm an animal freak, right? I really mm-hmm. love animals. So I guess it was my little, uh, I don't know. It's, it's the first thing that came to my mind when you asked the question. Oh my gosh, I love it. Yeah. And one of my favorite shows to watch is Blue Planet. So I am a big fan of any <laughs> underwater documentary looking at whales. <laughs> so you know what? You had a soft spot for me too with that answer. Yeah, I'm going to sound like a massive EP now. <laughs> but in the best possible way. David, this has been such a fun conversation. I hope it's not our last. I could definitely see a part two in our future. And we just really appreciate you coming on. Yeah. And thank you so much for what you're doing thank with you your so business. Much. Bingo. Thanks to you. It was amazing. Thanks for having me. Really, really appreciate it. Thanks, David. Oh, that was amazing. I, I can't get my mind off of the fact that this was almost like too obvious. And David does, does such a good job. He's so humble. And not everybody who sees this problem could have acted on it the way that he and his wife did. So I do want to give him a lot of credit. But if we think about how much waste there is and the fact that it shows up as a line item and people aren't seeing the impact, it's kind of scary. I think you know, this is something that we should see across the board. It's a problem, yes, with grocery stores, but with so many other outlets. And this was just an awesome kind of like eye-opening moment for me. Mm-hmm. Same here. And I think, like you said, it starts with just being aware and paying attention to your waste. And what was interesting for me to learn is that 80% of all this food waste is coming from these massive corporations. And I don't want that to diminish us as consumers and as individuals to try to reduce our waste because obviously that's important too, but it's so much bigger than that. And so we want everyone to go out and support Loop. If you hear of businesses with a similar type of circular model, we would love to chat with them because this is just super interesting to us. And we hope you found it interesting as well. Now, before we wrap, of course, I have to say... If you like our content, please rate, review, subscribe wherever you're listening. We're on Instagram. They get it. We love chatting with you guys when you reach out and you have questions or feedback. So please reach out to us there if you want to chat. And with that, we will see you next week. See you next week.